0: Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 5. We'll be uh, continuing our series we just began a couple weeks ago uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And as you turn there, just a couple announcements. If you look in your and you'll find uh, a flap that's a connection card. That's where you can let us know about prayer requests or things that you want the pastors to know about or to pray about. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, uh, we'd love to, to let, for you to let us know that you were here and we'd love to send you a little gift just to say thank you uh, for being here for the first time. And so just want to make you aware of that. If you fill that out, tear it out, place in the offering plate as it comes through later at the end of our service, that would be uh, excellent. So the Sermon on the Mount, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, is how Christ desires the people that belong in His kingdom to behave. It's what it's kind of his inaugural address as to what he wants his kingdom to be about. And, and it begins really with the Beatitudes, and, it, and the Beatitudes kind of lay the foundation for the rest of the commands over the, the three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. And the first half of those commands really deal more with our interaction with God. And the ones that we're looking at today, the second half, really deal more with our interaction with others. So let's review because it's very important that we don't forget what we learned two weeks ago. Because Christians, we have a problem of just running out to interact with the world before we've interacted with God. We go out with a haughty spirit thinking we're great because we haven't met with God to humble ourselves and realizing just how much we need Him and just how important His grace is to our lives and how we would be just like the world. We would be just like those who are lost if, it were, if we were apart from His grace. So first we have, uh, as we looked at the last time, realizing that we're poor in spirit. Realizing our poverty before God, that we bring nothing to the table. That we are spiritually bankrupt before God. Our best is as filthy rags. But not only just seeing those, it also says, blessed are those who mourn. It's not just about seeing our sin and seeing our insufficiency. It's also about mourning it. Feeling it. Being, being broken about who we are and our shortcomings. And we, we begin to see this begin to change our attitude as we It says, blessed are the meek, so we're meek, and we go out and we interact with people in a meek manner. And then, blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we realize we're so desperate that we need righteousness that's outside of ourselves, that's provided to us in Christ, so that we might know God. So picking up at verse 7, as we begin to see how this all plays out as we interact with others, it says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, I'm sorry, blessed are the peacemakers, in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray once more. God, help us. God, teach us what it means to be merciful and to be peacemakers in this world. God, move in our hearts this morning as we seek to be blessed peacemakers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. First, we, we see, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So look, what is mercy? How is mercy different from grace? Grace is more uh, dealing with sin itself. Mercy is more about seeing the effects and the misery that sin brings. It's just being aware of people's misery and desiring that that misery be alleviated. Misery from sin comes from in several ways. We have misery from the general fall of sin, right? We, uh, people get cancer, not, not always because, or, or very rarely because of something they did, but just because Man, cancer's in the world because of sin and it wasn't necessarily something that they did to contract that illness, it just is. And people die all the time, not as a direct result of their sin, but just because sin exists and because of sin exists, death exists. And so there's misery in the world because sin exists. We live in a world that is rebellious to God and there's ramifications because of that. We also have misery from personal sin, sin that that we commit ourselves and we reap the misery from those sinful, sinful decisions. And there's misery from the sins of others, sins that others have done to us that make us miserable. And so the question is, which miseries should we as Christians be concerned with and, and try to help people experiencing that misery? All of them. It doesn't matter if if their misery is because they live in a sinful world or because even if they have contributed and sinned and and received the misery, or whether it's something done to them, it doesn't matter where the misery comes from. We should concern ourselves with helping them. Helping them. When we see it, and the good Samaritan, right? The good Samaritan comes along and, and he sees someone in misery. and It didn't matter that they were from different worlds and they hated each other. He wanted to alleviate the misery that was given to this man by the robbers on the road. But even more clear than that is, is we see it in Christ Himself. Christ looked upon us in our misery. And some of our misery was just because we lived in this sinful world. Some of us were in misery because of what we had done. In fact, all of us were have some misery in our life because of what we had done when Christ came to us. And many of us and all of us also carry that misery because of sins that have been done to us. And what did Jesus do? He gave us hope for all of it. He gave us hope in our misery. And God's decision was, I'm going to alleviate the needs of people through the death and suffering of Christ. I'm going to come and help them in their misery. We have an interesting... It says, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so is this saying, is this saying that the way that we get God's mercy... The way that we get God's mercy is to give mercy. Like we, we earn God's mercy because we're merciful. And the reality is, is that there isn't, this isn't the only place that it kind of sounds like that's true. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus will say, Matthew 6, 14, and 15, he'll say this, For if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Then in Matthew 18, we see uh, the parable of the ungrateful servant, right? Who, who has a huge debt against his master. And the master says, hey, I'm going I'm to take care of your j- huge debt. We're going to wipe it away. And what does the servant do? He goes out and he finds a guy that owes him five bucks. And he goes out and he begins to beat him. And the master sees this and he, just, he, he takes the guy and he throws him in jail. And Jesus closes that parable with this. It says, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my Heavenly Father will do, every, do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So do we? I mean, do we earn God's forgiveness because we forgive others? I would, I would say no. First of all, all of us fail to show mercy. Every day, there are events, there are things that come into our lives and we fail to forgive as God would forgive with his standard to that standard. And secondly, we know that salvation is by grace and not of works. If we were to say, man, all you got to do is to be saved is to forgive others, then we would just be eliminating all that the Bible says about salvation and grace. Yet, don't miss that there is a close relation between our mercy to others, and God's mercy towards us. I would go so far as to say that nothing should make us doubt our salvation more than if the fact is that we cannot find mercy in our life. That we find it in ourselves almost impossible to forgive others. If that's true of us, then you should be doubting your salvation. When it comes to traits that the Bible assumes of believers, mercy is at the top of that list. And the question becomes not, can we earn Christ's forgiveness by forgiving others? The question is, can someone who has truly received the grace of God refuse to give grace to others? Can someone who has been through the process of of realizing the poverty of their spirit and mourning who they are and then turning to, to God and receiving His righteousness, can someone who's truly been through that be a person who refuses that all across their life? We who are Christians who have been forgiven of so much Anyone ought to be people who are merciful. It should be us. And next it says that, that blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So what is the heart? The heart is, is revealed in Scripture to be more than just the seed of emotions. We just kind of think of the heart as you know what we feel love with. But Martin Lloyd-Jones said it well. He said it like this. The heart means the seat of the personality. It is the center of man's being and personality. It is the, the fount out of which everything comes. It includes the mind. It includes the will. It includes the heart. It is the total man. Your heart is who you truly are, right? It's not just the the act that you put on. It's not the picture you present to others. The heart is who you truly are inside that you cannot hide from God. And we need to understand that our heart controls our behavior. To understand what the heart is capable of, we need to understand what a wicked heart is capable of. In Matthew 15, 19, it says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Every evil act that we do has its root in our hearts. Don't say somebody else made you blow up in anger or someone else caused you to stumble no it, it may they may have contributed it to it but it was your wicked heart that made you do what you should not have done and likewise every good act that we do comes from a pure heart a good heart luke 6 six forty-five breaks it down like this The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Should I follow my heart? It depends on what your heart is. It depends on at that moment where your heart is. Is your heart loving Christ or pursuing Christ? Then yes, maybe follow your heart. Yes, Follow your heart. But if at the moment of decision, if your heart is just wanting what you want and wanting your passion, then no, it's terrible advice to tell a sinner to follow their heart. Because the heart is capable of all kinds of wickedness. The Bible calls it deceptive. Sometimes even when you think your heart is where it needs to be, it's lying to you. So be careful. Make sure that you have a pure heart. And a pure heart is an undivided heart. Another way that the Bible speaks of, uh, of, of pure and wicked hearts is that of an undivided heart versus a divided heart. Psalm eighty six eleven says, Teach me Your way, O Lord, that I may walk in Your truth. Unite my heart. Unite my heart to fear Your name. All oh, the damage done by Christians, our so-called Christians, who have a God compartment in their hearts, that when they come Sunday, they let Him out. Oh, this is God time. And when Sunday's over, they say, okay, God, get back in your compartment. In the back there in the back of my heart, because I got to do what I got to do this week. How many kids have walked away from the faith because that's what see, they've seen in their parents? Yeah, God's important to their hearts on Sunday, but the heart doesn't acknowledge God the rest of the week. The Bible calls us to to have a pure heart, is to is to have a heart that's united around God united a passion around God it doesn't matter what day of the week it is it doesn't matter what's going on my heart still belongs to God it's pure it's undivided but we must also remember that very quickly we also need to remember that God gives a pure heart Psalm 51.10 says, God, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So does that mean that, man, just pray for God to zap your heart and make it clean and do nothing? No, because James 4.8 says, draw near to me and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded." so there's verses of Scripture that say, man, pray for God to give you a clean heart. And there's verses in the scripture that says, man, go after, purify your heart, is because it's both passive and active. We we know that we can't do it without God's help, so we seek Him. But at the same time, we're actively involved in, in having pure hearts and making those decisions of how we have pure hearts. And next, and I really want to, I really think this is the heart of the second part of the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. So I want to spend most of the rest of our time here. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. First, let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean peace through truth abandoning appeasement. Okay, this this does not mean that, hey, you got to keep the peace so... Let go of your convictions. Let go of your standards. And let's just all get along. The absence of war does not necessarily mean peace. And what the many of the liberal churches have done is saying, man, this, there's a lot of conflict in truth, so let's... Let's just cast out truth. Let's not have any standards. You, you live your life like you want to live it. I'll live mine like I want to live it. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. And we'll all get along. But that is, that's sinful peace. I think Abraham Kuyper put it so well. He said, when principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then battle is your calling and peace has become sin." You must, at the price of dearest peace, lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. So just know that when we say be a peacemaker, it doesn't mean to cast aside truth, to cast aside obedience to God at the expense of peace. No. And also remember, and we're going to have to come back to this some. Remember the Sermon on the Mount is written to individual Christians. Okay, so we don't have a right to tell a government maybe that's that's fighting terrorism or defending itself that hey you gotta you gotta be a peacemaker, but because this isn't given to governments, it's given to individual Christians, and we'll we'll talk more about that as the Sermon on the Mount progresses. So what does it mean? It's, it means when it comes to to being being a we're just a person of peace. We're a person that seeks out and makes peace. And part of that is, is, is passive peacemaking. The passive way in which we make peace comes from humility, from just keeping a heart of humility that comes from what we've already talked about of, of seeing our poverty, mourning our poverty of sin, and, 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 and relying on righteousness, the righteousness of God given to us in Christ. And that's how we walk meekly and are able to show mercy to others. And that's where peace begins in our own hearts of just, of just being people that are humble, that just rest in life at a humble position. And we know this because James tells us where war comes from. James 4, 1-3, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covenant and cannot attain. You, and you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So, so what causes war is our passions on fire within us for what we want. Because we think we deserve stuff. And we think we deserve respect. Respect if you don't give me that respect, you better watch out. There's going to be blood. It's going to be your blood because you haven't given me the respect that I deserve. It's what James tells us is where fights come from. It's when we're enraged because of our rights or our, 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 the rights that we think we deserve. But we, if we lived out these beatitudes, we would... Be humble people. There would be no pedestal to be knocked down off of because our feet remain firmly on the ground in the reality of our own sin. Uh, I've told this story before, forgive me if you've heard it, but I played baseball. I was a water boy my junior year of high school because I got to a school where all these guys had played baseball all their lives. I hadn't played since the coaches pitched to you, but all my friends. We were playing baseball and I just wanted to travel with them. And so the, the, the junior year I was the, the water boy, and senior year they actually had a uniform that fit me. So I dressed out. But I was basically there to eat sunflower seeds. And so, uh, but this one game, this one game, we were ahead by like 12 runs. And so, Coach said, Adam, come on up here. And so I got to bat. I was like, I'm going to play. And so I went up there, and amazingly, I hit the ball. And then even more amazing than that, I got to first. And the crowd went wild. They went crazy. I think it was Fielder's Choice, but I still made it to first. And so the first baseman, as teenagers do, You know, I could tell he was teeing it up. He said, man, they sure are cheering for you. Why are they cheering for you like that? And I I had nowhere to go. I thought, how can I make myself sound cool in this moment? And I thought I can't. So I just said, because I'm terrible, and they did not think I would get to first. And he goes, oh, okay. Okay. Like, I got, I got nothing. I got nowhere to go with this. The guy knows he's terrible, so, you know, I teed it up for nothing. But, y'all, that's really, in a way, how, how we passively, as Christians, can seek to, to remove a lot of conflict in our life, is just is to realize that, man, we, we are Sinners. And everything that someone says about us, and everything that that some everything that someone figures out about us or, or is something that probably don't know the half of. It. Because if they were to get inside of us and really know what's in our hearts and really know what's in our mind, they'd have a whole lot more to say. So, if we would be people that just keep our, our feet on the ground and, and just seek out to be humble people that, that just never are on a pedestal to be knocked off of and get mad about, we would passively avoid a lot of conflict. But not just about being a passive peacemaker, by keeping ourselves humble, we should be active peacemaking, active peacemakers. It's not just passive, it's also active. We should be people that actively pursue peace for the conflicts that come into our life. Now, just, if you just come in my counseling office for a moment. Um, let, me do, let me do some of that. Here are the main primary conflicts that exist in our life, directly exist in our life. There's conflict... Um, Y'all can go ahead and go to that graph. Um, there's conflict through sins done against us that have been resolved. That's sin that, that someone has done to us that brought conflict into our life, but somewhere along the way, they sought forgiveness. We gave forgiveness. And so it, it, it falls in a resolved way. It's, it's under the blood of Christ it's it's been dealt with there's conflict through sins that that we have done that have been resolved and that's that sin that, uh, that's that we committed against someone else that that caused conflict but we went to them at some point and we've we've told them I've sinned against you will you forgive me we've, we've stated our sin clearly to them they have have said, we, we forgive you. And that exists in... in, in. And the, another category is the conflict through uh, sins that have been uh, have not been... I'm sorry, sins done against us that remain unresolved. Sins against us that... And someone's hurt us. We've never maybe told them that they hurt us. We've never acknowledged it. Maybe they haven't, maybe they know they hurt us, but they haven't sought out forgiveness, and so it remains unresolved. It's still keeping us up some nights. And then there's conflict through sins that, that we've done that remain unresolved. So there's sins that, that, that we've done to others that we've never asked forgiveness for, we've never had a conversation about, we've never made restitution if that's needed um, to, to try to make it right. So this is what uh, going to the next slide. Um, so this is kind of what our sin, what our lives may look like, kind of represented in graph form here. You know, some man, some we got resolved conflict, but then we've got those things done to us, and those things we've done. and they're just still there. They keep us up at night. We we struggle with them. We ha- we know. Deep in our hearts, that we we haven't done what needed to be done there. And a, a peacemaker is someone who who seeks to remove things out of that bottom category and move them up into the resolved category. That's what a peacemaker does. And and maybe maybe you would say uh, you would say, man, but. But man, they're the other person. That other person is, and they've done they've done some bad stuff to me. Now, yeah, I've I think I've done some bad stuff in return. But man, if we look, if we could break down the pie graph of the conflict, it's ninety percent on them, and it's only ten percent on me. And that may be true, but what you need to do is own the ten percent. Go to them and say. You know, there's this conflict going on with us and, and I want you to know that, that there's some ways that I've bitterly responded to some of the things that you've done to me and, and, and I just want you to know I haven't responded in a godly way. Will you forgive me? Now, Who knows, especially if we're talking about a believer, who knows what God's going to do with the 90% that's their responsibility by the fact that you just, repented of that 10% or that 5% imagine something if you were to throw your marriage up on this graph represented by this graph how many, how, how, what would you have in each column and do you need to this week begin to start moving some of those conflicts from unresolved to resolved you need to be a peacemaker in your marriage before your marriage disintegrates because of the weight of all the things in that bottom category, and if you notice, there's still there some conflicts, even if you're trying to be a peacemaker, that they remain there. And the Bible is very gracious to us. Romans at twelve eighteen says this: If possible, so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all. So it may be that you've done what you needed to do, the conflict, but it's no longer a responsibility that you have. It's a concern that you are to pray about. God, I've done everything that I feel like you've called me to do. There's still conflict. And God, I just pray that you would work on their heart. Just take the repentance that I've done, work on their heart, bring this to resolution. But to be peacemakers, we, we just need to think about our lives and, and what exists, what what conflict exists that I haven't taken care of and actively seek to rem, to move those things from unresolved to resolved through repentance. And and I love what it says. It says when we are peacemakers we look like our father look what it says blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God God is the great peacemaker the greatest conflict that ever existed was our rebellion against the holy God and what happened was is is God's here in his holiness and when we rebelled against God We exist way over here as His enemy. We've all, as it says, gone our own way. We've been enemies of God. So there was this huge, massive conflict and this huge, vast space of distance between us. And what did our Father do? The peacemaker sent Christ to die in our place to receive our sins on Him, though He had no sin, so that the conflict could be poured out upon Christ. So that all who believe on Jesus Christ and what He does and has faith in that, what does God do? He brings us to Himself through Christ and He's the peacemaker. And so we're never more like our Father that we're we're out making peace. That is when people say, that person looks like the dad. They look like their peacemaking God. If you desire to be called sons of God, we are ever, never more like him than when we are making and seeking peace. Peace with our blood family, peace with with our church family, peace with our husband and our wife or our kids or maybe the greatest is when we're engaged in what the Scripture says, that ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians five eighteen says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. So He made peace to Himself with us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So He gave us the ministry of reconciliation the Gospel, to go out and to share with others and try to get other people to say, here's your God, and here's how you're brought to Him through the good news of Jesus Christ. And you're never more like your Father than when you're doing that. When you're engaged in bringing others to Him in peace. And real quickly, it closes talking about persecution. I mean, wouldn't it be great if the Beatitudes, after saying, hey man, be a person who is humbled before God. Go and treat others with love and forgiveness and peace. Be a peacemaker and go out. Man, love the world. And it would end with, and the world's love you. The world will think you're a great guy or you're a great girl. The world will, will praise your efforts. But that isn't what the way the Beatitudes ends. It ends with, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you Falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's give up on, on, on the, the mission to make the world love us. Jesus came healing people. He came... Feeding the hungry, and they crucified him. Why? Because I guess because he remained a person of truth despite his love. And they didn't want to hear that truth. And so let us realize but but understand here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Okay, get that. Like don't go out and be persecuted because you're a know-it-all jerk. Go out and be persecuted because you're, you're a humble, loving person that, that's proclaiming the truth in absolute humility and love. Man, blessed are you if you're persecuted for doing the right thing. Don't be afraid of, of persecution when it's for righteousness' sake. Seek to be that person of God, that, and, and you know it's, and it's crazy that in a perfect, if we're in a perfect world. Being a good, per, good, humble person that makes peace and resolves conflict, man, it, it would be something that would be lifted up by the world. But we're not in a perfect world. We're just as, as liable to meet lots of hate because of our humble living than we are love. So, conclusion, let's just run back through these. and Just examine your life. you merciful. Maybe you need to take a good look at your salvation because when you look at your life, you don't see much mercy at all. Are you a person that is merciful to others, that, that sees the misery of others and you want to do something about it? Where is your heart is is your heart pure and bringing about good decisions godly decisions or is it is it bringing about some wickedness that that you need to examine your heart and 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 purify your heart and are you uh are you a peacemaker are you someone that's both passively seeking peace through just living humility, living humble? And you're an active person as you examine your life and say, where's conflicts that I need to resolve? And are you you willing to be persecuted for being righteous? Or do you just kind of say, man, I really want the world to love me Are you someone that says, man, I, I gotta I gotta be obedient to God. I gotta I gotta live a righteous life and and world, you can take me or leave me, but that's who I am. As you run down through those, I can't imagine that you're nailing those all out of the park. So I'm gonna ask in our time of response that that you just do your business with God, that you would think about what we're where are these places weak in your life and, and ask God to help you and reveal to you. Maybe you're here and, and you've, you can't be a peacemaker because you've never been reconciled to God in the first place. You've never believed on that gospel that makes it possible for you to go out and be a pace, peacemaker. I'll be here and I'd love to tell you how to do that. Just respond however God's put on your heart to respond as you stand and as our musicians come. Dear Heavenly Father, God, help us, God, to be merciful. God, help us to be those who would be known as pure in heart. God, help us to be those that that are peacemakers, that people will say they are like their peacemaking God. God, help us to be courageous in the face of being persecuted for just trying to serve You and and be who You've called us to be. God, just help us. God, as we walk in this world that we would be known as humble people that as far as it depends on us, God, that we would seek peace. God, I pray for any conflict resolution that needs to happen among this people. God, I pray that You will work on the hearts of those who have sinned and those who've been sinned against and just make grace reign in those events. As repentance is made, God, may forgiveness be poured out full and free. And God, if there's someone here who, who hasn't been reconciled to God, hasn't been reconciled to You, God, I pray that You would draw them to Yourself this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.